You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Guys, here we go. It's the 2018 Gator Panel. That's what we're doing here with Gators Breakdown in the big three roll-up. Silk, man, what, what, what did we do here? Hey, man, we're here to hang out, man, do some family talk, man. Uh... Gator panel. Gonna, I mean, this is the first one, so we're going to do a two-part series. This one will be about the season outlook. So Dave will be the main host of this one, but um, Silk, Uncle Silk, uh, Big Three Roll Up. Dave. Yeah, that's what we got here. So, yeah, I'm Dave Waters, host of Gators Breakdown. Uh, Silk, he just introduced himself there from the Big Three Roll Up. Uh, about, about a month ago, we came together and, and came up with the idea of doing this and uh, getting uh, – hey, look, Gator Nation – Everybody's excited for the, the return of Dan Mullen to Gainesville, and we wanted to kick this off, kick the season off the right way for Gator Nation out there. So I'm going to run down the list of who we have here, and uh, I think uh, I think Gator Nation should be pretty happy about this. I'll start uh, Zach Alberti from Gator Bait Magazine, Phil Sykes from Gator's Breakdown, Nate Delator from GatorCountry.com, Dan Thompson from GatorCountry.com, and Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun. Gentlemen, thanks for uh, joining Silk and I here on this. Thanks, yeah, for thanks, us, guys. thanks for having us, for sure. Yeah, man, always a pleasure. Absolutely. All right, all right. So, guys, you just want to go ahead and, uh, uh, I guess, talk about the breaking news that happened. And uh, still can let you talk about it. You know, it is more due recruiting. We'll get to the season outlook, but we can't let the breaking news uh, go by without talking about it first and the commitment the Gators just got. Yeah, we just got a big one, man. Uh, the trail's starting to get hot a little bit. We what? got Diabate Mohammed. Uh, elite pass rusher. We, we got a dog, fellas. Uh, that linebacker core is, is getting real good and flipping that depth chart real fast, man. Um, shout out to C Rob, man. The young fella is recruiting, baby. We got we got us a recruiter, man. Zach, you want to give us some more about my man, um, dear body? Nothing. <laughs> Yeah, obviously a big time prospect was on Florida's campus for Friday Night Lights just a couple weeks ago. Uh, that was kind of a shocker to me. Uh, I didn't see him trending there until the last couple weeks. I guess I, Dewan Black deserves a good amount of credit for that one in, in a way as well, along with C-Rob. They did a lot of work there to get him. A guy who like, you know, I mean, he's from Auburn, Alabama, that like you would assume, you would assume that 
there's no chance he gets out of there. But, you know, Florida got a really good one. I think 24-7 themselves has him as a top five linebacker in this class. Nate, what you got on him? Is, is C-Rob the one doing the most work right now in terms of recruiting uh, from staff? It, feel, it feels that way, but we're going to discuss that tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> it feels that way, though. I mean, he's doing good. In the beginning of the season, when, when the staff got put together, I'm not going to say season, when the staff first got put together, I, I thought that he was probably the weak link just because of inexperience. But, I mean, and he's a star on the trail right now. That's something that uh, I've been asking the guys a lot about him and then about Brian Johnson as well, to have young guys. Um, asked the quarterbacks yesterday, um, you know, how beneficial is it to have a quarterback coach that has played quarterback for your head coach? And, and when Dan Mullen says something and, and it doesn't click to you, is he able to say, okay, well, I've gone through this with him before. And I think with Christian Robinson too, uh, it probably helps him recruiting as well as coaching is, Hey, I'll flip on my game tape. It's from four years ago, um, you know, five years ago. So I think that's something uh, when you're looking at this staff that it probably helps in recruiting and it's also helping them on the field too. Go ahead, Zach. You know, I mean, this is a huge get for Florida, obviously just because of what it does for their linebacker slash DN, you know, numbers now. But anybody that's met that kid and talked to that kid, I mean, he's probably one of the most impressive players in the class of 2019. I don't know what his GPA is, but it's through the roof. The guy wants to be, um, you know, he wants to study medicine. I think I think he wants to be a doctor of some sort. Um, so he's just the type of guy that you want in your locker room just from that standpoint. And you add how good he is and how much it strengthens now that front seven that Florida's got. I mean, you got to feel good about this if you're Todd Grantham, Christian Robinson, and that defensive staff. All right, all right. Enough recruiting for tonight. We'll get on that. That's part two of the Gator panel here. So we'll go ahead and start off. Uh, also, first of all, a little disclaimer right here. First time I've been doing a Google Hangout on YouTube with this many people, so there may be a little bit of audio issues till we get some stuff figured out. But we'll get it there. I think uh, we just went through most of everybody. Everybody got a word in. Sounded good for the most part. We're getting it figured out. Here we go, guys. So I sent you the uh, rundown, and we kind of have a little bit of topic, a little bit of topics we want to discuss for this uh, 2018 season. Start off with the, the key to a successful season. Uh, Graham Hall, I'll get, I'll get you to go first, man. Well, I think that uh, obviously is having a successful quarterback, which Florida hasn't really had in a decade. And a bigger part of that, obviously, is the offensive line, where there is a lot of depth, but three position coaches in three years, it's a position that has historically underachieved. I mean, you look at last season, number seven overall in penalties. I mean, Artez Ivy and Jawan Taylor are so hyped, and they were – like number 118 out of 129 teams uh, when it com came to tackle pairings uh, who are penalized. So if John Hevesy doesn't get some production out of these guys and they don't find a true center, which no offense to TJ McCoy, it needs to be someone who's taller than six feet tall. Um, Florida won't have, you know, as good of an offense as they really could have, which is so unfortunate considering how many, how much skill position talent they really have um, way more than Dan Mullen had. Um, at Mississippi State, and he has a better defense right now at Mississippi State. So really, if Florida gets everything together, and together, the sky is the limit um, in a way because the schedule is so favorable. They have all the pieces in the way. They need to find a quarterback, and they need to find a sender um, and maybe get a little more depth at, at the center position and on the offensive line as a whole. But um, I think Florida will finish 9-3 uh, and three this season, um, but I could see anywhere from 8 to 10 wins as well. Um, but anything less than, I think, 7 wins uh, – 
<clears throat> is an indictment or like a loss to Tennessee would pretty much be an indictment and in, in a worst case scenario in a way in Dan, Dan Mullen's first season at Florida. Dan Thompson, you up next, man. Yeah, no, I think Graham makes some good points. Um, I think the, the key is obviously the quarterback play. Uh, that's the most important thing that I think that Florida needs is I think they need a, a, a threat uh, at quarterback. I think that they've got some good uh, potential talent at wide receiver. I think they've got obviously a ton of talent um, and depth at running back. Um, but all of that means not much if you have to rely on only one of those things. So uh, Florida obviously can't rely on just a running back core. They're just going to stack eight or nine in the box. And as good as that core of running backs might be, it's not going to be good enough to be able to beat a stacked box all the time. So uh, if they could figure out the quarterback situation and get at least um, uh, some production and some increased production, um, even if their total offense is in the – 50s or 60s that's still you know 100 improvement over last year um i think they also need to focus on special teams um obviously they're replacing a kicker and a punter but just in overall coverage and everything else they ranked 94th two years ago and 104th last year uh, in special teams so those are two areas where if you can stop the other team from being able to flip the field on a punter on a kickoff uh that's gonna be huge for that defense which has a lot of talent on both the back end and the uh, the front end but uh, it's that linebacking core in the middle that's a little suspect so if you can keep them from advancing, you know, an extra 10, 15, 20 yards uh, on those kickoffs, that's going to be a key to success as well. Bill Sykes. For me, it's all about the rivals. And uh, I know a lot of the younger fans consider LSU one of the chief rivals. And, and, and I acknowledge that with the events of recent years. But to me, when you're talking about the chief principal rivals of Florida, it's still Georgia, FSU, and Tennessee. And you got to win two of those three. And, and listen, I understand FSU's got a talent, but two of those three – Tennessee and FSU, you're facing teams with new coaches just like Florida. Willie Taggart has traditionally been a, a slow starter. He's got a lot to prove as a head coach. He's going to have a big system change in his offensive uh, philosophy there. I think they could be vulnerable. And, you know, quite frankly, when it comes to FSU, ever since Ron Zook uh, claimed Doe Campbell as Ron Zook Field on his way out and won in 2004, then, you know, was already fired. Urban Meyer came in. Ever since then, the winner of that game, has had a higher ranked recruiting class than the loser. So it's going to carry a lot of implications in recruiting and to the psyche of the team and the fan base going into the offseason. And, hey, let's be honest here. After this debacle we saw in Knoxville with Tennessee, uh, I don't care what anybody says. Tennessee has more of a funk on their program than Florida does right now. They've had more adversity when it comes to struggle and just downright Jerry Springer uh, dysfunction around that program. Uh, if you come out and lose to a coach they bought at Big Lots in, in Pruitt in year one, it's a bad look for Mullen. They have to win that game, and they really need to beat FSU. Uncle Silk. Yeah, I think um, for us to have a good season, a productive season, I think it's going to be it's going to rely on the offensive line and the run game. Um, quarterback is what it is. I think Dan Mullen is going to improve the quarterback situation, but we're not going to be able to rely on quarterback. So the offensive line staying healthy and us being able to run the ball is going to take us a long way. And I agree with Bill with the whole um, the rivals thing. Uh, I think Florida State is a must, and I do think I think we have a – I mean, it's a long season, so guys got to stay healthy, but they're vulnerable, like Bill said. Uh, I think we beat Tennessee. Georgia is the only one that's up in the air, man. Um, you know what I mean? They got a, a lot of turnover, a lot of new starters and everything, but they, they're talented. Uh, we'll see what Mullen can do, but I, this is the first season in a long time I felt confident going into the season. Every every, every offseason in the last, like, five, six years, man, I've been iffy, nervous. This is the first one where I feel somewhat comfortable and at ease, man. I know at least we'll move the chains. 
All right, Nick Delatore, what you got? Key to uh, key, key, key for a successful 2018 season. Yeah, I think I want to go back to Bill's point about Tennessee. I think it's a bad, I think it's a bad Tennessee team. But um, from people I've talked to up there in Knoxville, I think Pruitt knows um, that that Florida game specifically has done in the guys before him. And he knows, hey, I might not have a good team. I might not have a bowl eligible team this year. Um, but if I beat Florida, that gives me a lot more, a lot more rope and a lot more leash with, with my tenure here. So I, I expect Tennessee, especially the home game, to throw everything they have at Florida. Um, I think it goes back to Dan's point too. It, it's going to be quarterback. And to me, from seeing the guys, they're the same, they're the same guys. Um, Felipe Franks is, is what we've seen from him. Um, that's what he is. And that's what he's going to be. Kyle Trask is, is still good. He's, hasn't been able to take the job from Frank. So if you know what Frank's is and you know that Kyle Trask hasn't been able to take the job from him, that tells you what, what Kyle Trask is. So to me, then it goes on the coaching staff to, you know, and we heard it from the last staff and never, you know, we heard it, we didn't see it. Um, but, you know, putting guys in positions to make them successful. And that didn't happen last year with, with the quarterbacks. But I think the difference this year will be getting Jordan Scarlett back, having Malik Davis, Michael P. Ryan, and having that that running game that you can lean on, um, but then it goes to the offensive line and them being able to get a push. So um, I'd say start with quarterback, and then really, you know, it, it's going to be how good can that running game be to you know make up for the quarterback play. All right, Zach. Oh, maybe there's the internet problem there. <laughs> That's crucial. Hey, Nick, let All me right. jump in real quick. Hey, Nick, yeah. what do you what do you suppose? Florida is going to do at quarterback, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this. Uh, but how does the Emory Jones uh, redshirt rule? Uh, obviously, Kyle Trask not having a lot of or any in-game playing time. How do you think Florida handles that situation? Yeah, I don't think uh, Emory Jones will is is going to redshirt at all. Um, I, he's not ready to start. Right. That's just where he is right now. And I know people will point out, you know, uh, a handful of freshmen that have you know had some success at the D1 level, but it's really hard. To come in and start, especially at a program like Florida, a school like any school in the SDC. Uh, it's going to be right now. I think if the season started, if season was tomorrow, I think Felipe Franks would be your starter, and you're going to have some packages for Emory Jones. Um, I say similar to, to how they use Tebow, not in the sense of plays that they use Tebow, because he's obviously not a six foot four, 250 pound battering ram, but in that way where we're going to get him six plays, 10 plays, 12 plays a game. To, to have him go in there and mix it up. Yeah, another thing, another thing real quick. With the with the red, I think red shirt is, is, is starting to phase out a little bit. Uh, unless the guy's going to be here five years, you got him a fifth-year senior. And then is he any good as a fifth-year senior? Like, who? what good quarterbacks are, are fifth-year seniors? You know what I'm saying? Maybe only positions I, I, like, like offensive line where, where there's so yeah. much, so much, you know, I guess – you're guessing when you look at a guy who's a junior in high school, what's he going to be in two years? And it might take yeah, everybody got to mature. Yeah. Right. Go ahead, dude. Uh, yeah. So my, my key to the, to the season, you know, last year, my big word was progress. And we didn't see any uh, in Jim McElwain's third and final season there. So, you know, game one to game 12 progress from, from, from that first game to that last game against FSU. That's what it constitutes a successful season for me. QB play where we can see tangible steps being made uh, with an improvement on the offensive line where it doesn't look like they're being manhandled every game against uh, an SEC opponent. You know, I think I think getting off to a good start uh, to the season is a big key. You know, continue to streak against Kentucky, go get a win versus Tennessee, like we've already talked about on Rocky Top. You know, I, I think a four and those start is a must for a successful season. You know, th those games. 
uh, you can set the tone for the rest of the schedule. The rest of the schedule is going to be tough. You know, those games there are, are, are easier than when you get to this meat of the schedule when you're going against Mississippi State and LSU and Georgia, Missouri, and South Carolina coming up. So, you know, starting out 4-0, I, I think of it is a must to get some confidence going, in, going into the meat of the schedule. Absolutely. That's a really tough – I mean, I think Tennessee has a tougher stretch, but you're right. Um, starting off 4-0 is – I agree with you on must. When you look at, at Mississippi State, which I think is probably the sneakiest, toughest, hardest game of the year, and then you follow it up with LSU, Vanderbilt's always, um, you know, historically a close game. Um, and then that bye week in Georgia. So, yeah, you know, going into that Mississippi State 4-0 feels a lot better than going in, you know, 3-1. I agree. Anything else on that or you want to go ahead and move on? I'm good. We can move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. All right, guys, through fall camp, we've had a good sense of where the Gators should be pretty good and, and some areas where they might struggle. What units do you feel pretty good about and which one concerns you the most? And, and I know quarterback and offensive line probably are going to dominate the one that concerns you the most. And I have no problem, you know, talking more about those. But, you know, if, right off the top of your head, if you could throw another one in there besides quarterback and offensive line, uh, we'll go right ahead and, and do that. So, uh, uh, Nick, I'll go ahead and start with you, man. Uh, I think the, the – the, obviously my favorite unit and the unit I've, I've been most excited about, talked most about is running back as far as deepest. Um, my biggest concerns have been linebackers and then with David Reese um, – getting hurt this week uh that doesn't help my concerns there at, at linebacker at all and then the, all the the injuries piling up in the secondary now really you've got three cornerbacks that i'm comfortable with um a nickel and chauncey and and then it's still a lot of question marks at, at safety so really right up the middle of the defense not not with the line i think the line right next to running back is probably the deepest unit on the team but right up the middle when you're talking linebackers and safeties i, I have big questions about them on the defense um, and, then, and then quarterback would be a question again also. Yeah. Bill Sykes, where are you concerned the most? Yeah, I'd like to kind of piggyback on that. When when I look at this team, to me, the biggest vulnerability is the susceptibility uh, on the defense to give up big plays. Uh, now, first, let me qualify that. I think Grantham's going to do a good job. When you look at uh, his metrics uh, as a defense coordinator back to 2010, he typically averages anywhere from 25 to 35 and things like total defense and scoring defense and uh, even pass efficiency defense. And he's a, a, a very good defensive coordinator statistically. And he even has a, a top five rating, rating last year on Football Outsiders success plus metric, which evaluates his ability to stifle an offense on play-to-play -play and keep them from getting the yards that they need. The problem with that is that the times that he does miss, it turns into that third and Grantham thing you hear about. Uh, to give you an example, in Mississippi, Mississippi State's uh, nine wins last year, they gave up eight plays of 30 yards or more. But in their four losses, they gave up 17. And, and these weren't in the 30-yard variety. I think Auburn had seven plays that combined for uh, – Gosh, was it 361 yards or something like that? They gave up three plays over 60 yards to UMass and almost lost the game because of it. Ole Miss, they had three of them that were anywhere from 40 to 60 yards, lost the game on big plays. And then even against Alabama, they played them tough, but you give up two long passes over 60 yards to Calvin Ridley, 
And that ultimately ends up being the difference maker. And one of those, he was bringing heat. So as we see this team uh, under Grantham, we're going to see some very good defense. We're going to see him getting crafty. The pressure is going to come from all angles. It might only be three, but it might those three might be off to this side, or he might bring five or six, and it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to create a lot of turnovers, a lot of sacks. But can this defense set the edge? Can these linebackers maintain gap integrity, and can this young – safety group rise up where we limit these 40, 50, 60 yard plays that can end up being the difference makers. That's my concern. Zach, let's see if we can get you in here again. We're talking about what, what unit feels, what, what unit do you feel best about and what unit concerns you the most? And if you can kind of throw out quarterback or offensive line, we kind of know those are a given, uh, but what groups on the team uh, are you, that make you feel good and, or, and are you more concerned about? Yeah, sure. Uh, just hold on. I can't, I lost you guys. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, I got you. All right, awesome. I mean, obviously, when you talk about the strength of this team, it's got to start with the running backs. I mean, you can make an argument for receiver. You can make an argument for maybe some other spots. They're really strong, I think, at both uh, defensive line and even linebacker potentially. But running back is where they have proven production. And I really think that they're going to be counted on to kind of carry this offense in the early part of the year because of their – quarterback situation um and you know, i think that's what dan mullen feels good about i mean he said that they're really going to pound it and if you look at the history i mean that's what he's always done as a play caller uh especially at mississippi state so i i expect that to be you know the focal point of what florida tries to do offensively as you know a lot of people have said uh and and in terms of a concern um i you know i I know you said throw out quarterback. I, I, that's still a concern for me, uh, just just to not know how that's going to play out and who's going to ultimately win that job as the season progresses. Um, you know, I would just say, you know, just the secondary in general, uh, where that where that depth is at, uh, the lack of depth, or should I say, um, because I think if they have their starters at cornerback, at nickel, obviously, and then at safety, they'll be fine. But if injuries hit and any of those guys start to go down. Things could get real dicey. Um, you know, I think Florida will be good enough in the front seven that it shouldn't hurt them too bad. But that's that's probably the one big area of concern outside of quarterback and offensive line. Dan, where do you feel good about it? Um, I know that you mentioned uh, – I mean, everybody's kind of mentioned the defensive line and the running back core. I think that those are the two areas that people feel the strongest about. Although I probably don't feel as strong about the running back core as a few of you guys do. And it's not because I don't think that there's a lot of talent. I mean, my biggest concern is is I don't know who the star of that group is. And I don't know if there's a huge difference between one and four. And I think that that's okay, but I, I just don't know if there's a star yet. It'll be interesting to see what happens uh, when Scarlett comes back. But obviously that defensive line. And I think the biggest thing about that defensive line is that addition of Sal Sinceri, who I think is probably one of the best defensive line coaches in college football right now. Um, my, my biggest concerns that, you know, obviously we mentioned linebacker, um, obviously quarterback, uh, I'm still concerned that a tight end hasn't emerged. We still don't really have uh, a tight end at Florida for the past, you know, few years that has been able to not only be able to be productive in the blocking schemes, but in the, the pass catching schemes that you can use them, you know, kind of interchangeably. Uh, and then the one that I'm going to throw out there, it's not necessarily a concern as much as it is an unknown. Um, that's because I think the last two years, um, you know, Florida got so used to having Eddie Pinheiro back there, but I'm concerned about kicker. I'm concerned what happens if we have a kicker that, you know, goes 50 or 60% uh, from field goals or misses a few extra points. Uh, you know, Florida was a, a few extra field goals or a missed point away from LSU from tying, right? So obviously we know 
uh, you know, how important that kicker position is because we saw it right before Pinheiro started. So that's my biggest unknown right now uh, is that kicker position. I know it doesn't seem like a big deal, but uh, that can make or break a lot of things. Graham, what you got? Um, I mean, obviously linebacker depth is very concerning. Um, especially, I mean, even before the recent injury, they were banking on two guys, James Houston, who didn't play his senior year um, due to an injury, and Ventral Miller, who obviously set out last year as well. Um, you know, there is talent there that that could be good that people have forgotten about. You think about Casey, um, and then you think about Voshan, who has improved in coverage, obviously the biggest problem with him. Um, so <clears throat> that is certainly a big unknown. Obviously, running back is the biggest position that I look at when it comes to depth. But my concern is them not establishing a pecking order of the carries because we all remember the, what was it, four-headed monster or backfield, whatever they called it a few years ago, where, you know, it took them a while to figure out that Scarlett should have been the number one back all along. But then you had, you know, Thompson and Cronkite and all that in there. Um, that, that situation you absolutely want to avoid. You want to establish a pecking order. So I think that's critical for Florida. But obviously it all comes down to the quarterback. And um, even if having, having a game-managing quarterback to, you know, get the skill position players um, in, in good scenarios is, is ideal. But Florida, that's, there's too many unknowns right now for me to um, say that I think that Florida is going to be um, an amazing team on offense or not be weak in the front seven due to the linebacker depth right now. Yeah. Well, I think oh, sorry, Self. Go ahead, buddy. No, no go ahead, Bill. Well, go ahead. I mean, there is one other concern to me, and I think this, this front seven has got some great edge talent, some guys that are very athletic on, in, in the line and at the buck position, but can they set the edge? I mean, remember, we're losing Taven Bryan here, who was their, their pocket collapser. Uh, we're losing Jordan Sherrod, who was the primary edge-setting defensive lineman. Can they replace that that ability? Because as, as Sherrod was hurt last year, we saw that ability decline for this front seven. And like I was talking about, if they aren't setting the edge here and if Foshan Joseph flies into a pile this year, you're going to see guys take it to the distance. So we've got to see that they can play in all phases here against the run and against the pass. And that's a concern for me. That, that, that undisciplined – play you're talking about and you just saw it every week and, and there was really no answer to it and, and I think that could be a concern too. I, I really I'm really high on Elijah Conliffe and uh, and TJ Slayton in the middle though. So I don't think we'll I don't think Florida will miss um Taven Bryan as much when you when you've got those. So I'm really high on those two guys. Yeah I think there's a lot of, of talent in the trenches man. I got I think that's one of our, our strong points. We got a lot of depth. I think we're gonna rotate a lot of guys. Um, D line is really not a concern for me to be honest. Unless unless a, a boatload of injuries start to happen, I'm not terribly concerned about D line uh, interior or on the, on the edges. On uh, linebacker, I am. Uh, I, we have issues last year with linebacker. Those guys look suspect uh, in pass coverage and run coverage. We just didn't see a lot of talent from the linebacker position. And I think for me, I don't think Roshan and Reese is what we need. You know what I'm saying? I think those guys are play. But those guys aren't to me SEC linebackers. I don't know if they can they can they can cover. Um, with Reese going down, Reese looks a little slow. And all the camp stuff I'm seeing, I'm hearing that uh, Rayshard Jackson and Ventrell are only ones that look decent in pass coverage. But right now, I would say linebacker is the biggest concern for me. Um, like Zach was saying, the secondary is talented. I'm not unless we have a lot of injury guys start to fall off there, then we're in trouble. But that secondary is elite. They got some a lot of talent on that back end. We'll see if Chauncey show up to tackle this year. Um, <laughs> but I, I think he's gonna have a big year, to be honest with you. Uh, the shrimp is running back, man. We got a lot of we got a lot of horses, man. It's gonna be interesting to see how they uh, 
hand out the ball and see who get the most touches. But we got a lot of dogs on that back end, man. But yeah, my, my biggest concern is linebacker and, and like Dan Thompson said, kicker. Yeah, running back and wide receivers where I feel best, but I'm going to go with Robert's or running back because you know they're less dependent uh, on the quarterback, and you know if the passing game isn't there, you know it can affect the running game, but not the, not to the same degree it's going to affect the wide, uh, wide receivers. So you know I hope this isn't a, a wasted years or uh, a wasted year on these wide receiver core because you know, I feel really good about the running backs because of the pure talent that is there with, with Scarlett Davis and Pirine, and then the potential of Lemons, Pierce, and Clement. And I'm really interested in, in how these guys catch out of the backfield as much as I am to, to see them running because you know, I think that would be a big part of this offense until these quarterbacks come around and it can start you know, testing defenses down the field on a, on a consistent basis. So, and it also helped Mullen spread the field a little bit with their screen passes. So I think they're deep there. They can keep guys fresh, and the offensive line is a better – and the offensive line will be in a better scheme. that will open up some running lanes. And if I go to the other side – I still think you know the the group that worries me right now is safety, and, and it has been because of these injuries that have crept up uh, in, in fall camp so far. You know, injuries have hit them really hard. Uh, Quincy Linton out for the year. Uh, safeties: Juwan Taylor, Sean Davis dinged up. Uh, you have Taylor, Brad Stewart taking most of the reps. Donovan Steiner, the, the only real backup right now. They have to get healthy there and need to continue continue to see development from from Steiner and, and you know freshman Huggins. There, they can play, but they they're going to have to grow up fast and they're going to have to be relied on. Uh, I think it helps that they can kind of work their way slowly through the schedule at the beginning of the year, but they'll be needed eventually, not to be a huge liability. Absolutely. All right, guys. We'll move yeah, on guys. to the uh, yeah. next topic here. And, uh, what uh, player should we be talking more about that might make an impact that we're not hearing so much about? And I, I'll start this one off. I'll go. I'll go with Michael Piran. You know, Scarlett and Davis are being talked about the most, but but Piran's put a nice fall camp together, and I, I'm guilty as anyone when, when putting him behind Davis and Scarlett. And part of that is you know him only averaging 4.3 yards of carry in his first two seasons, but. You know, he, he's a nice back that can wiggle his way through some running lanes, and I, and I look for him to really take a jump in production with this new running game, you know, especially if Davis is still lingering from the injury. And, and so I, I say look out for P. Ryan in, in this running back rotation. What you got, Silk? I, I agree with you there, too, okay. real quick. I, I agree with you there on P. Ryan. I think until we see Malik Davis sustain – being able to, you know, not having that knee flare up coming back from the injury and being able to sustain, being able to play in, in multiple games and practice that well, Michael P. Ryan's your number two running back. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with um, a guy that we're not talking about that I think could do something um, that, that could pop up. I'm going to go with a tight end. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Kyle Pitts, the freshman. Uh, I think Franks is going to need somebody to bail him out, uh, a big tight end that's right in front of him. I don't think uh, we're gonna take too many risks of throwing the ball in, in suspect spots. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with a tight end. I'm gonna say Kyle Pitts, man. I think the freshman steps up and, and makes some big plays, man. Nobody really talking about. But you, Graham, who's the guy we ha- we're having, we're not talking a lot about? Yeah, does Tyree Cleveland count? Um, I know that Nick didn't really want to start <laughs> that debate yet. But, uh, <laughs> you know, all the talk has obviously been Grimes and and Van Jefferson, obviously with good reason. I mean. Not only that, their you know Jefferson's production, but you know Grimes's recruiting profile. So I get it. But Tyree Cleveland, uh, you know Nick said that we hadn't seen anything except you know deep bombs from him. Um, you know which is which is pretty true in a sense. But um, I still think he has a lot of talent. He he said he did work on being a complete receiver this year. He knew that 
what he needed to work on. Um, I think that he's going to prove a lot of people wrong. The other one I probably would say would be Freddie Swain. Probably one I don't think a lot of people are talking about. All right, Nick, we got, you got to refute the, the, the little bit. <laughs> well, man, I mean, Tyree Cleveland had 20 less catches than Brandon Powell last year. I don't get why people think that he's going to be. Hey, we get it, man. We got Grimes now, bro. He's from St. Thomas Aquinas. You got to, you know what I'm saying? You got to do your homework thing. Hey, hey, I need you guys to start putting some respect up. on Jordan Scarlett's name, too. Another St. Thomas Aquinas grab. My God, the disrespect in here. Hey, Who's hey, I'm biased toward the Jamaican, too, man. I like the Jamaican. I like 25 at running back, man. Get same team, here. same team here. <laughs> uh, yeah, to me, it's like what Graham said about, about Tyree. It's like, I need, I need to know if you're more than a nine round. Um, and, you know, it's cool that you caught uh, uh, your catch against Tennessee is going to be played for, you know, longer than you'll be on, on the earth. You know, Florida fans will watch that play until the day they die, and that's great. But that's just a moment, and you have to be more consistent. You have to be uh, a player that when I'm a quarterback and I've got a three-step drop and I'm thrown to a spot, I need to know that you're going to be there, and I'm not going to be throwing it into the hands of a linebacker. And that hasn't been him. That hasn't been. Yo, is that LSU catch not a moment? Doesn't a mo a, a couple moments? So he's got two moments. He's, had, he, so he's okay. got two big catches. Hey, two moments in a Mac offense is a lot. <laughs> I mean, the same argument that actually Jordan Scarlett is though he produced a thousand yard rushing season in a Jim McElwain offense. Why doesn't that apply to Tyree Cleveland? Because he's from Duval. Not from South Florida. We're going to have more. All right. I'm going to stay off Twitter that's, after that's, that one. Uh, that's the end of this show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach, man, who you got? Who's the guy we should be talking about a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, for you guys, this probably won't come as a surprise. And anybody that's kind of heard some of the rumblings coming out of practice, um, but Damian Pierce, man. That dude has really, really uh, made an impression on a lot of people within the program, a lot of folks on the team, and then certainly just what he's done when he's gotten his opportunity. I know that the scrimmage on Sunday was really when he kind of opened at least, you know, a lot of eyes from from the people that I talked to. And and look, rightfully so, Jordan Scarlett's going to get a lot of attention. LaMichael P. Ryan was the feature back last year. Everybody's excited to see uh, Malik Davis healthy. And personally, I can't wait to see what a Darius Lemons can do in this offense because that's my guy. Right. Having having said all that, the two best running backs in, in the scrimmage on Sunday were 25 and 29. And those are two guys that were not playing for this team last year. So I, I just really think that having them in that rotation as Malik is still trying to get to 100 percent, I just, you know, I really think and – you, and you look at Damian Pierce, I mean, he doesn't look like – this immediate impact guy. I mean, he's like five eight, five nine, but he's so hard to tackle. He's got tree trunks for legs. Yeah, I'm about to say Paul, but he built well, Zach. Yeah, and and you don't and you don't break Herschel Walker's record by mistake. I mean, the kid has a lot of talent, um, and I think that he's gonna uh, really make a splash on the scene this year. Dan, what about you, man? Um, I have Jabari Zuniga. Um, I think that he's the guy that we need to talk a little bit more about replacing Taven Bryan. We need somebody that's going to get uh, – Florida needs somebody that's going to get off the edge and be able to get into the backfield. Uh, he was, what, second on the team last year in sacks. He led the team in sacks the year before. Uh, and this is that opportunity where, uh, you know, with Polite coming on strong and uh, a couple of these other guys that, that we know, and if, if Slayton is what he is in the middle, he's going to eat up, you know, at least two guys. So – that's going to leave an opportunity for somebody like Zuniga to be able to be in backfield quite a bit. Um, you're replacing 
uh, you know, four sacks last year with Taven Bryan being gone. So uh, somebody's got to take that. And, and I think Zuniga is that guy. I think that he showed last year uh, and the year before that, that he's able to get in the backfield. Uh, I think this year with another year in the uh, strength and conditioning program that he's going to do well. Um, I was going to say Ja'Kai Polite, but I think everybody's talking about him. I think he's uh, ready for a monster year. I think he's going to really have an awesome uh, year for Florida. Um, I want to talk about what Zach mentioned with Damian Pierce. I think the, the biggest issue there is I just don't know if he's going to have the opportunity to be as big of an impact player. I just don't know if the carries are on the field just yet. Um, for him to make a huge impact. You know, I can see him, you know, probably getting five, seven carries a game, but at the end of the day, they're going to run 70 plays. Probably 30 of those are going to be passing plays. So that leaves, what, 40 offensive plays. And I just don't see, uh, you know, D you know, Pierce being able to eclipse both uh, Davis and Pirine uh, to get more yeah, than probably four, happen, five, six uh, carries. I, I mean, I think that he's going to be an unless, awesome running back. Unless he's better. Yeah. He's better. Yeah, I, I, I think, know, I think that's. I think that's where Lemons gets lost because I think yeah, I think Pierce yeah. is I think Pierce is ahead of Lemons already. And then, like I already said, you know, uh, I'm still kind of waiting to see um, on Malik Davis and where his knee is at on a week to week basis. And I think Pierce could easily be your third running back. Yo, Ohio State press conference in five minutes. Yeah, oh. yeah. Fuck Urban. I mean, sorry. I'm sorry. It's a professional <laughs> show, bro. I'm sorry. I forgot it's a professional show, man. But yeah, I think I think um, yeah. Sorry about that, Dave. I think uh, Urban Mike does that to me. I think I think twenty nine is gonna skip some people. I think people really underestimate how good this kid is, man. Um, and, well, and that's the thing. I, I don't mean, think I mean, Bella. I mean, I mean, we said somebody. We said somebody that nobody's talking about. I mean, I just I think that he's gonna be someone that once you get into the year, everybody's gonna be talking about Damian Pierce. But he might only be a guy like Dan said that only gets. Um, you, know, you know, a certain amount of carries a game, but he's going to make the most of his opportunities and he'll be that guy that all the fans are talking about. He needs to get more carries. He needs to get more carries. There's, there's always that yeah. guy every year. And I think mm -hmm. that it'll be him. Hey, if uh, I further that point, um, and, and Dan, I thought I saw you on Twitter mentioned today, you were kind of wondering how, if they might get lost in a committee. And it's an interesting question because they do have so much talent that go around this year. And like somebody said earlier, it's hard to say if there's that much separation between back one, two, and three. Right. We don't know if they have that stud, but Mullen's tendency is to find a guy. Uh, right. He's had five 1,000-yard rushers in his nine years and a 900-yard rusher, I believe, at, at Mississippi State. And I went back and averaged the difference when I saw you, you did that of between running back one in yards and running back two in each year. And the average separation there, the number one back, uh, had 2.8 times the yards as the next guy. And it was only two times, and it was the first and third Dak Prescott starter years where you saw a little bit more of a committee approach because Dak was chewing up some of the yards on the ground. But other than that, Mullen seems to be a guy that wants to find the guy. And so I think he's going to give every opportunity to Scarlett to seize that. But then again, is Pierce the kind of guy you can't keep off the field? I think that's the question. Oh, good to that there, Bill. Um so Nick and Graham, you guys are at practice, and there's two guys we haven't heard a whole lot from throughout camp: Kadarius Tony and CC Jefferson. Is there anything up with those guys as far as you know, Tony? We were, Tony really, we were really looking at, looking um, at um, uh, being the guy. Being the oh, guy. There's a oh, there. there. Uh, uh, 
and and CC really not living really up to, 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 to not I'm gonna say live up to the hype, but in this hype. maybe new defense. Yeah, haven't heard a whole lot. So, what about those two guys? About those two guys? Uh, CC's just been um, in a red no contact jersey. They're they're still bringing him along from his shoulder surgery. Uh, if you remember, he tore his labrum um, in, in the spring game, so he's coming along slowly. Um, and, and still not sure. I don't think he'll be ready to play uh, next Saturday in, in the opener. Um, and, and then Kadarius Tony, um, he, he's been he's been fine. He's been in the slot, but I think you also might be preparing to not have him based on his off season. Be preparing to not have him for your first or second game either. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Very Massey. Yeah. Is he still there? Is he still there? <laughs> yeah, Dream Matt, yeah, he still has a jersey and a helmet. I mean, if Tony's suspended and Copeland's injured, someone's got to fill him. Van Jefferson can play in the slot. Yeah. I don't think it'll be. I mean, I, 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 I've heard Swain and um, my man Rick Wells are having good counts as well. Yeah, Rick, Rick is, yeah. And um, I think – I think Josh Hammond is probably someone that gets overlooked because um, he's not going to make maybe, you know, those big flashy plays. Um, but he's a guy that, like I said, when I was talking about Tyree Cleveland, you know, when I'm taking a three-step drop and I'm throwing a timing route, I know Josh Hammond is going to be where he needs to be. And it might not be flashy. It might kind of be like a Lewis Murphy was for Dan Mullen's offense where he only seemingly showed up on third and eight to catch a first down. Um, but Josh Hammond's a guy that I think, might not light it up, but will be a dependable player for the offense this year. Quick, quick, quick question about Tony: Is he is he a polished receiver at this point, or is he still a one trick pony? Like, what what do we have out of him right this season? What are we expecting? Like Cleveland. What do you think, Graham? I I don't think anybody knows. Um, I still haven't seen him, you know, <laughs> make many catches in you know, um, in traffic or or you know, fight through. You know, fight through a tackle, really. I mean, he's, you know, we know he has speed and agility, but I haven't seen him um, do anything as a deep threat, really. Uh, until then, I don't know if he can ever be really a complete receiver. I don't know how much he's worked on his, um, you know, his his footwork and his route running and uh, being more than just, you know, a slot receiver in that sense. But, I mean, he, he has added 20 pounds nearly of muscle, um, has been working despite all the, you know, off-season stuff that may think make you think otherwise, um, but I do think that uh, until we see you know him in a real game and see how he's used, you know it was hard to gauge Tony last year at this time. Also, people knew he was people talented, he was but it was hard to, gauge, hard to gauge and practice how he was how he. And then he goes out in the game and the game great, looks great, dynamic. So, so maybe we'll maybe be changed. We'll be changed. Our minds will be changed. Will be changed. Will be changed. I don't know. I don't know. To, to answer your question, Silk, I think he's he's coming along more um, as a route runner. But it's just a guy kind of like like a Lemons or or, uh, or like maybe, you know, like a Brandon Powell back in the day. You, just, you need to get him the ball in space because he, he can make people miss. And he's not the biggest guy, but he does you – know, he's not afraid of contact. He will lower his shoulder. He'll fight for extra yards. So I think that's where you get him involved is you just try to get him the ball with two, three yards of space between him and a defender and say, hey, you know, go do what you're doing. I, you know, I'm, I'm curious if – the the position that Kadarius Tony is and that that firework player really truly exists 
in Dan Mullen's offense as much as it has to do with being a reliable player in Dan Mullen's offense. You know, I just looked through and almost all of his wide receivers are averaging, you know, 11, 12, 13 yards per catch. Um, a lot of their top receivers are catching, you know, 20, 30, 40 balls a game, and they're not averaging a ton of yards. I think that Dan Mullen's going to really focus on somebody that's reliable rather than just getting that, you know, that one trick pony that's going to go out there and, you know, make that spark play. I think it may happen every once in a while, but if you look at the stats from 2009 until now, you're just not going to see that huge firework type of wide receiver. And I'm not sure if that's a lack of talent. I, I, I truly think it's the, the wide receiver system. And I know that people are going to go back and say, look at Percy Harvin. God, I'm sure the comments are already flowing. But that was a couple of years. And that, to me, almost looks like an anomaly more than it does truly an indictment of the type of offense that Dan Mullen's going to run. So I can see somebody like a Freddie Swain or somebody like a Josh Hammond uh, that's going to be reliable, that's going to be where you want him to be as your third option or be that slot option you know, when, you know, Massey, or not Massey, obviously not Massey, uh, when Cleveland or Grimes or Jefferson are double covered. Bill Sykes, I haven't heard from you or your, your unheralded players. Uh, maybe we're not talking a whole lot about that you could that you could see making, the, making some noise. Well, I've got two. I'll, I'll make it quick here. But one that I think can capitalize off of CeCe Jefferson's absence is Antonius Clayton. And, and I know that this uh, Russian – Buck position is really crowded right now, but I think he's still uh, a super talented pass rusher. Uh, he was in Chris Rump's doghouse, played very sparingly, didn't put up much of anything numbers-wise last year. But I, I've been hearing since the spring that he's been tearing it up. I hear it over and over and over that he comes out in the spring game, has a strong showing, has had a uh, couple of sacks in the scrimmages. I think he's a guy that can become a weapon even in the crowd there. Uh, the key is he's got to set the edge in the running game. I'm going to keep coming back to that because it's going to be critical this year. Uh, the other one is R.J. Raymond. Uh, he's a guy that with all these weapons that Florida suddenly has now, I, I don't see him being talked about as, as a potential contributor on offense, but I think as a, a blocking H-back, as a guy that could take three to five touches this year in meaningful moments, he could almost carve out a Billy Latsko-type role for himself. I mean, 6'2", 249, and we don't know that a freshman like Pitts uh, can really step in there and impact a running game like a guy like Raymond can on power looks and and then be a versatile weapon. So I think he's a guy that we should look out for, should look out for as well. That's a really good point, Bill. I like that. Yeah. Am I on what, am I on what thought Bill was going to say a number? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Am I the only one thought Bill's gonna say a number instead of a name? <laughs> <laughs> I see you all as code. <laughs> as soon as you said his name, I, Billy Lasko is the first thing that came to my head. So we all remember going into that bye week of Georgia and Urban Meyer's first year when they the, the offense was finding a, a struggle. They couldn't get anything going, and they came out of that Georgia game with those uh, one sleeve, orange sleeve jerseys and that everybody hated. It looked like a CFL team out there, but uh, they won. They won exactly. They, they were pretty after that. Uh, so, uh, but so, yeah, uh, but yeah, you inserted, inserted, inserted there, and, there, and that was, uh, that was, uh, uh something that was, it, was Georgia in black helmets that year. Yeah. Yeah. I know they did that. I know they did that in 2009. 2009. Not, I don't know about that. Man, I got an echo. Man, I got an echo again. You're cursed, man. You're cursed. Man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. You guys know where it's going next. Go ahead. Till I get ahead. this. Till I get this echo figured out. Echo figured out. All right, I'll kick it off. We got a uh, most important stretch of the schedule, and we touched on it a little bit, um, but let's kick it off with uh, with Zach. I mean, you got to go to me. Those those uh, those, uh that trifecta of Tennessee, 
Mississippi State and then LSU. Um, obviously, that that test in Knoxville is is, is really we're going to find out a lot about this football team and what they're going to be capable of in, in their SEC slate. Um, but I mean, to me, I think that the season is going to come down to three games. It's going to come down to the Mississippi State game, the Georgia game, and the FSU in terms of where Florida is going to be favored and and where they're at going into the game. I think that they're going to be favored to beat Tennessee. Uh, I think that they'll be favored if they can beat the Bulldogs to beat LSU. But so much is, is going to hinge on that trip to Starkville. Uh, if they lose that game to, to Dan Mullen's former school, uh, you know, that that plane ride back from Starkville is just going to be a really tough one. And then you got to come back home that next week and face LSU. You know, it, it could be a snowball effect potentially. On the flip side, if you if you get a win at Tennessee and then you go on the road to Starkville and you find a way to get the W, that plane ride home is going to be a totally different deal. Um, and I just think that it could be momentum for that team. Everyone knows how big that LSU weekend is going to be, not just for recruiting, but for the program. The 08 team is getting, um, you know, honored. And if the Gators find a way to beat the Tigers, avenge last year's loss, again, th- those three games right there, I, I think are, are going to decide – Kind of where the season goes for the Gators. Um, I'll, I'll hop in. I think that Zach. I think that that's the toughest part. But for me, I think the most important stretch of this schedule is the uh, Georgia, Missouri, South Carolina, because that's three SEC uh, East teams in a row. Um, you're going to be coming off you know some tough games. You have Vanderbilt and then a bye week, and then you hit Georgia, who's going to probably be in the top five uh, in the country. You have Missouri, who probably has one of the best quarterbacks. Um, in college football, throwing the ball. And then you have South Carolina, who's a decently improved team that obviously has a great defense in a Florida can't put it together on offense. And they're going to have to struggle again against that Will Muschamp defense. Um, so I think that that's an important schedule because if they can come out of that Tennessee, Mississippi state, LSU, two and one, three and oh, I think they win at least two of those games. And then they beat Vanderbilt that if they lose to Georgia, they're still, doing well on the season. So um, I think them being able to then bounce back and beat Missouri and then beat South Carolina going into playing Idaho, that puts them in a really good position to be, you know, even if they don't win the SEC East, you know, maybe, you know, a, you know, eight, nine, 10 win potentially team. Yeah, I'll go next. I, I'm, I'm going to say um, the stretch between starting with Mississippi State just because the SEC West teams, and uh, we don't play Mississippi State that often, so it's a little bit unfamiliar, man, with, with them. But I'm going to go with those West teams. I think we, if we beat those two and headed to the rest of the season undefeated, I think that would be huge, you know what I'm saying? But we'll see, man. Um, I'm not afraid of Tennessee or Vanderbilt. Those games just never scare me. Even when they're close, we just win those games. But heading out west of Mississippi State and playing LSU is always tricky, man. So I'm going to say that stretch right there, man. Bill, I know with you, probably got to have FSU in there somewhere. And you know, last night on Gators Breakdown, we, we, we I, I posed this question to Will, too. And he – because he threw out Idaho, of course. So he went with the Missouri, South Carolina, FSU, the way to end the season there. Yeah, to me, FSU is the most important game, um, but in and of itself. It, it may be one of the, the biggest opportunities to gain momentum for this program – uh, most biggest singular point we've seen in a while. A uh, wind does wonders there. But as far as important stretch, I, I like what these guys are saying about Tennessee, Mississippi State, and LSU because it's early, because you're trying to build confidence, um, because you can't be the team that breaks 
Tennessee's uh, losing streak to every SEC team. You know, I, I kind of talked about it. You just can't lose to Tennessee this year. And plus, it, it's just not going to feel real good either if you lose to Mississippi State after you left there for another job. I do understand that he's put together a good roster there, uh, and they, they're going to be a good football team. Uh, but you could really be propelled if you go two and three. If you beat Tennessee and either Mississippi State and LSU, it does set up a pretty good showdown going into the Georgia game. So I, I think that's a key stretch. What you, Graham? Yeah, I mean, I would obviously – I uh, agree with the uh, Tennessee, Mississippi State, LSU stretch, although I would be kind of inclined to give it to, um, you know, Georgia, Missouri, and South Carolina just because those teams, I mean, we forget that Missouri did, you know, beat down Florida last year as well, just like Georgia scored 42 on them. Um, but those games don't really matter if Florida, you know, doesn't handle those first three games. So I'm going to have to obviously go Tennessee, Mississippi State, LSU, you can't, uh, I said this earlier, you can't be the head coach that loses to Tennessee, breaks the streak, um, especially when it was so dominant for so long. And that, you know, I think even Steve Spurrier was saying that, you know, you can't lose to uh, <laughs> Tennessee or else you can't coach here. Um, so, you know, that's really an indictment early of Dan Mullen if they don't even get to Mississippi State unscathed. Um, but, and if they go into Starkville um, and lose, you know, that's going to be kind of hard to stomach for a lot of fans and people in the program as well. Um, but it would not be as bad as, you know, losing to Tennessee because you're at least comforted by the fact that the people you lost to were uh, recruited and coached by Mullen before. So, uh, yeah, that, I would have to go those three games as well. Um, I think that Florida, if they come out of those two and one, um, that's a success. Uh, Nick, you posed a question. You had to step in for me there. Let's get your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, – to me, I think it's that Georgia-Tennessee stretch, but um, – to Bill's point, I'll, I'll go with, with a different one just so we don't keep talking about the same three games. I'll go with that those last three and just in terms of recruiting. Um, you know, even when Florida was going to back-to-back SEC championships, the end was so bad and so hard to watch where you're struggling to win games by three, getting blown out by Florida State, getting blown out by Alabama, and you're not going into the offseason with any kind of momentum. So I think if you can end the season with some momentum, beat FSU, end that losing streak, it kind of sets you up for recruiting and sets you up for the off season. Even, even if you've struggled in those first couple, you know, in the first two months of the season. All right. Sounds good there. And uh, so I posed some questions to you guys just right here quickly. And uh, Dan responded with, and I I like this a a lot. How do you rotate the running backs? And I probably had more besides quarterback. I probably had more conversations on Twitter dealing with this and, Who's the better running back? Who's who's the number one? Because I'm a big Malik Davis fan. That injury does scare me. In the way he came onto the scene last year, he's been the only proven back who can consistently hit the home run threat. Uh, before he got injured last year, the, the Tennessee game before you know, he fumbled at the goal line, but that was a big run. Would have completely taken that game out of any, any style of Tennessee coming back like they did. He scores there. That game's over from that point on. Puts the Vanderbilt game away a couple weeks later. He, he was just the, the playmaker that Florida, at, at the running back position, hasn't seen in quite some time. You know, Jordan Scarlett, I was big on him coming out of high school. I thought he'd be the, the, the Trent Richardson at Florida at what he was when Jim McElwain had Trent Richardson. I thought that's what Jordan Scarlett would be when he'd come in. The offense never really took off. I think he's faced stack box after stack box, but – the reason I went with Malik Davis was because he was facing those same stack boxes. The offensive line didn't change a whole lot, and he was able to do just a, a, a bit more. Uh, if he's fully healthy, Malik Davis is still my number one. 
but you know it's it's a one a one b between Davis and and Scarlett. Uh, I mentioned heck I just mentioned a while ago how I usually put P Ryan third, but how I think he could be kind of the breakout player as well. You know, so those top three really really stand out to me. I think it's kind of tough behind those guys. I, I was a huge fan of Damian Pierce. He was my favorite recruit this this last class. So I hope he gets a whole lot of carries as well. But if it's me, it, it, it's it's Davis, Scarlett, P Ryan, and then the rest of just have to figure out. What about you, Zach? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I, I, I kind of feel like it may not even matter because they're going to do a lot of two-back sets, and they're going to rotate those guys in there a lot. I think that you're going to see – you'll probably see Scarlett uh, and P. Ryan or Davis on the field the most. Um, but I think that they're going to keep rolling those guys in there. Um, you're going to have – I think – want to get them to a point where you can really pound on through the game. And then if you're bringing fresh legs in there or a guy like Damian Pierce, that's coming in as this bowling ball in the third quarter, when the defense is worn out, um, they're going to really be in a good spot. But at the same time, you don't want to try and get into a situation where they were trying to do like they did in 2000, either 15 or 16. And they were trying to do this four headed monster and it just, it never worked. Um, I, I think that Scarlett is clearly the alpha dog. Everybody in the running back room knows it. They look up to him, not just as, you know, the running back and the starter on the field, but they, they kind of follow his lead off the field as well. So, I mean, he's clearly the guy. Um, I think he's, I mean, I, I, again, he didn't play last year. And I, I, I can only think of what he would have done uh, in 2016 had he been the feature back from the start of the season and they not try to do this running back by committee and give, I mean, he would have had a thousand yard year back in that season. So I think he's a stud. I think he should be in the NFL right now. And it's going to be hard to take the ball out of his hands. I think when they do, it's going to be when they're in two back sets or they're just trying to keep those legs fresh. I think that's a really good point. And I think that the opportunity that's there is to let Scarlett carry the load. But use Davis as a a kind of lightning to his thunder as a change of pace. I think they're going to have a nice mix of zone and power looks. And I, I like the way Scarlett sifts through traffic. I think what they're going to do with this offense and the way they get linemen moving and try to avoid having to ask their offensive linemen to to hit a guy head on and move him, I think they're going to have those creases uh, that Dan Mullen's offense provides. And I think that, that Scarlett is a perfect back for that. But I think if you do roll out Davis in that change of pace or maybe even Pierce as more of a, a punch change of pace, I think that could really catch defenses off guard and they could be yeah. very successful. Yeah, I, I personally, I think so too. I think uh, Scarlett's the, the, the head guy. I'm with Zach on that. I think he's the alpha, alpha dog in that room. Um, he breaks a lot of tackles, dog. It's hard to, it's hard to not like Scarlett, man. He wasn't did any justice in Max offense. Every time he got hot, they took him out of the game. I think it was some doghouse stuff involved with that as well. I, was it was I, it the Van? It was the Vanderbilt game, I think, in 2016, where it was the worst. Like, he yeah, clearly. The best back in that game, and they kept Absolutely. taking him off the field. Absolutely, so and I don't know. They're, they're not going to do that this year. When he's no. out there and he's hot like that, they're going to ride him until he says, "Take me out." They kind of absolutely. Him. Yeah, and, and you should. I mean, he's a guy that like's going to make something out of nothing. He can break tackles. I think Malik's that guy too. I think Malik can find creases. His vision's a little better than Scarlett's, and he can find some creases as well. But I mean. I mean, we, I mean, it's one A, one B, man. I think both of those guys are very talented, and both will play in the NFL, um, and have decent careers, uh, barring any injury. So, you you can roll four or five guys out there, man, and get good production, man. So, I think that's 
that's, that's going to be key, man, relying on those those backs. Dan, what? I'll let you go next and, yeah. and, and where you're going with this, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of answer this question too. Is is this running back core good enough to 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 make this a successful season with this with this team? Uh, not entirely. I'm gonna answer your second question first, and then yeah. your first one. I don't think they're entirely good enough to be uh, a team that you can only rely on the running backs and be successful. I think that they're gonna be a huge part of that success, uh, and I think that the team can win probably five or six games just running backs alone. But I think that you need to have a better quarterback um, situation or people are just going to stack eight, nine uh, people in the box and they're just going to really limit what Florida can do. They have a ton of talent, but I'm just not sure it's talented enough to be able to put everything on their shoulders. Um, so the answer to your question is I, I think is no. And if anybody disagrees, you know, be more than happy to chat with you about that. Um, but I'm, you know, what I'm most curious about is how that running back core uh, works. It just ran through as you guys were talking. This is going to be the first year, likely, since 2013 with Dan Mullen that he's not going to have a quarterback that ranks in his top two in rush yards. Um, that's a huge change uh, in difference in offensive philosophy because I don't think they're going to roll Felipe Franks out there or Kyle Trask or Emory Jones, whoever plays for that many rushing yards. So this is going to be the first year that he's going to probably use really a true stable of running backs to lead his entire running back core. So um, I think Scarlett's going to probably get 50 to 55% of your carries. Uh, and then I think the rest are, are kind of split down. Um, and to be frank with you, I think it probably matters those first three games of the year, um, who's going to get those most amount of carries because you can't keep splitting amongst potentially Scarlett, P. Ryan, Davis, Pierce, Lemons, I'm not sure where Iverson Clement fits, fits in. I, I'm not sure that he does. And then I'm also curious how important pass catching is uh, out of that backfield because Florida didn't really use uh, the running backs as pass catchers in the last couple seasons. Dan Mullen hasn't really used them, but that could be a wrinkle in his offense, the fact that he doesn't have a running quarterback this year outside of Emory Jones to see if that's a, a wrinkle that he puts in. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the talent that's there. I think that they're probably one of the deepest, if not the deepest, running back team uh, in college football. I'm just not sure that they have that number one talent where they can rely solely on them. Yeah, but I think uh, having a, 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 a running a running back depth chart like that opens up the pass game because you can play action off of that. I mean, teams are going to start loading the box when those guys start breaking big runs, man. And then you get a lot of one-on-one -on -one matchups with guys like Trayvon Grimes and Van Jefferson, bro. And ain't many corners in, in, in college football to guard those guys one-on-one, -on -one, man. So I think the running game is the key because it opens up the pass game. And you'll get a lot of one-on-one -on -one matches on the outside. Right, but that's assuming that they have a passing game, right? Um, you know, I mean, you throw it off a of grass if, if it's one-on-one -on -one with those two guys, bro. I mean, I don't care who have quarterback. Throw it up and see what Grimes and, and Van can do, baby. Yeah, I'm just not sure if they're going to stack that box eight or nine deep, even if you try to do that play-action run. I'm not sure that Franks is going to be able to get the ball off quick enough to be able to get it to those open guys, especially if those guys you know, aren't as polished as we like to think that they are. And if they're not in the spot where the Franks is going to get them the ball, that's why I think it relies so heavily on that quarterback position to be the most important thing. And that's why if you throw eight or nine people in, not only does that stop the run, but that increases the amount of blitz and pressure that's there and there's nothing that Felipe Franks has shown me in all of the games that he played last year that he can play well, you know, when the, the pass rush is that heavy. Yeah, we'll come back in November and replay that silk. It doesn't matter who's throwing the ball. Just throw it up. We'll see how it's one on one. If it's one-on-one -on -one with Trayvon Grimes and Van Jefferson, I fully believe that, baby. Like, let's figure this out, bro. It's a 50-50 ball. I like my guy. Go ahead, Nick. 
Uh, I think it's surprising when you look at the list. There haven't been many 1,000-yard rushers in Florida history, especially considering the running backs that have come through the school. I think Zach and I were sitting uh, next to each other in a press box when Kelvin Taylor broke it and uh, broke 1,000 yards in a bowl game. But I think, for me, Scarlett – 12, 1,400 yards that, you know, in this offense. And as much as I think they're going to run, if he's able to, like Bill said, he's going to be given the opportunity to be that guy, to be that lead back. And if he can hold on to that, I think 1,500 yards wouldn't be, you know, crazy with how I think Florida's going to run the ball and, and how fast they're going to be moving it off. And 1,500 yards, Nick? Dan, this is going to be a 90 to 10 pass, run to pass ratio. He's going to get 40, 40 carries a game. Yeah. <laughs> I bet if he was from Cardinal Gibbons, you think, you you think four yards, if he was right? from Cardinal Gibbons, he wouldn't be on the team. <laughs> in 2009 at Mississippi State, Mullen had uh, Anthony Dixon, who rushed for just a hair under 1,400 yards, and, and that was partially because he didn't have that quarterback uh, to take up, what was it, 700, 800 yards Man, average a year. They're going to hand the ball off. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's As they should. Doing. I mean, you got a backfield like that with suspect quarterback play. You better hand the ball off. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just common sense stuff, I man. Think, I, now, I will say this, I, though. If Franks can prove that he can at least make defenses account a little bit for him numbers-wise in, in the running game and really in the passing game, too, to slow down the pass rush, it's going to help both phases. Just a little bit. Though, I feel I, bad for uh, Michael P. Ryan. Because <laughs> right now, he's supposed to be the guy. Jordan Scarlett is supposed to be in the NFL, and he's supposed yeah. to be in a position where he can have a great year as a junior and be gone. I don't know if he's going to get enough carries this year to turn pro after his junior year. My, then he has to come back as a senior. But at that point, mm-hmm. you know, they could be kind of, you know, taking the rotation more toward the guys that they recruited. So I feel bad for P. Ryan because I, I don't think that he's the perfect fit for this offense. I think he's going to do well. But he came here to play in a pro-style attack. Man, that was the player I picked to, to, to make a name for himself. Zach, dang, man. I, think, I mean, <laughs> the, no, 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 no. That's the thing is I, I still think he's going to be productive. Yeah. But if Scarlett doesn't miss last year, um, this is his year to really show out and shine. Yeah. And, you know, now because Scarlett's back, he's going to get all those carries that Piran should have got. Um, and I, I just, you know, like I said, I feel bad for the guy because I think he is talented. He just got into a really awkward situation with the coaching change and then the offense going from McElwain to Mullen. Booby Miles could coach this team. You tell Felipe to exist in those three seconds it takes to hand the ball off. <laughs> All right, Graham, we'll give you the prize of, uh, of this one here. Uh, we'll start with this quarterback position. We can't go without talking about that. We'll, uh, we'll have here about a week and a half before the game comes along. Who's going to be taking the first snaps from Florida rolls out against Charleston Southern? I think it's got to be Darius Tony. Oh man, that be something. Hey, I mean he's going to be taking snaps, you know, in the IPF um, while the Roll game's going on. Like Muschamp did. Wouldn't that be great? I would be there for. That. I'd be. I mean, Vegas would be ruined because they're taking bets on all of it. They wouldn't have to pay anybody out. Um. I'm going to have to go with Felipe Franks, though, because I think that, you know, at the end of the day, like you guys said, it's going to be a very run-heavy offense, and they're not going to ask him to do too much. They're not going to expect him to go out and win the game for them or, you know, be the hero. Just let him, you know, manage the offense, run the ball, ask him to do, you know, throw some slants, um, throw the intermediate passes, hopefully, you know, throw it and dump it off to the tight ends and let them go to work and 
I can't imagine them wanting to open the field against Charleston Southern um, or, you know, do what McElwain did, even with Greer and, and you know, Treyon, is, is have that first two couple games be a quarterback competition. I can't see that happening. I think they'd want it settled beforehand. I think Felipe Franks is the guy, unless he ruins it against Charleston Southern. Um, I think that he's the guy going into Kentucky as well, but we'll have to see how he does. What about you, Zach? Well, where were we at? I'm reading about this Meyer stuff. This is crazy. Oh, there we go. Yeah. I got well, What would you ask? Thing. Quarterback. So sorry to draw your attention away from the show you're on. Listen, listen man, this, this stuff with out of Columbus is crazy. Um, anyways, yeah, they're wild. They're idiots. Um, Pick a quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think Franks is going to start. Um, I think that they'll play Trask um, as often as they can uh, when the situation presents itself in the first couple games. Um, but I believe Dan Mullen when he says that when he announces that guy, he wants him to take it and run with it. And he's going to give Felipe every opportunity, just like he's been giving him every opportunity in fall camp to take the job and run run with it. The reason that he hasn't is because of his play and also because of Kyle Trask. He keeps doing enough good things here or there to give the coaches something to think about, to give the coaches something else to consider. And, you know, all the things that Felipe, not all the things, but some things that Felipe struggles with, those are Kyle's strengths. And the, the opposite can be said, you know, Felipe can throw the ball, you know, 100 yards and arm strength is, is one of Trask's, uh, you know, flaws. So, I just think it's going to have to play out on the field. I think they want Felipe to be the guy just because of his leadership qualities and the fact that he's got the experience. Um, but that's how I see it playing out. Emory Jones is going to be Tim Tebow 2006. I mean, I, I don't think that they'll redshirt him because he is a weapon as a runner based on everything I've been told. Um, and I just – I don't think Mullen's going to – and Brian Johnson are going to get him, get him in a situation where – when he's taken over either as a starter or in a significant role, that it's his first time getting real experience. I think that they're going to season and sprinkle him in throughout the season um, to try and get him ready for eventually the point that he can try and take that job. Is there anyone who thinks Kyle Trask will start game one? Uh, I don't think he will start game one, but I think he should start game one. Ah. Um, I, I think that you've seen what you get from Felipe, and other than – Trask silk. <laughs> <laughs> Other than, I mean, listen, I don't understand why everyone's come back around on on Felipe. I had to, I had to like ignore Twitter during games because it, it was a witch hunt last year, and all of a sudden, like, it, you go three, four months without a game. It's like, oh, yo, Felipe's gonna tote the rock. He's gonna be running. He's gonna run for five hundred yards this year and throw for three thousand. She's like, no, he's, he's still the same quarterback. He's still he's still the guy. But the last time Kyle Trask played in the game, you didn't have gray hair. I, I had gray I had gray hair in high school. <laughs> he was playing Pop Warner. Uh, I got I got Franks, man. Um, I, and it, it's really not like a, a preference, man. Like I don't think either guy is, is going to be lights out, and, and we're going to be able to depend on him like that, man. I just think Franks is more talented, bro. I mean. Well, they got to put him in a situation where, where where he's good at, maybe cut the field in half on some reads and just simplize a lot of things for him. But I just never seen Trask under the big lights. Could he change our mind on game one playing Charleston uh, uh, Southern? Probably. He probably hit some passes and, and and be accurate and move the change. That that can happen. But I'm talking game one, uh, 
sending somebody out there to to to, to be the starter in the lead of the team. It's going to be Franks. So so what's he good at? If you're the coach and you're saying I'm looking for stuff that he's good at to put him in that situation, what's he good at? I'm just a fan, Nick. Um, <laughs> I'm not a quarterback guru. I think he's good at the deep ball. I think I think you give him less read. He's good when you don't give him a lot of reads, and man, that, and that comes from scheming guys open. You don't want Franks dropping back and reading the defense, man. You want to have him kind of just pretty much just tell him where to go with the ball, man. Uh, I didn't see a lot of from the Mac era of like you see in college football when guys get to the line of scrimmage and um, they'll do a, a, a fake cadence and then look to the sideline and get another play. We didn't get a lot of that, man. And I think sometimes we need a coach that's going to change the play for the guy and give him the, 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 um, the audible to go to. So I think I, I think that's what they're gonna have to do, man. There's no way Francis is gonna drop back and read a defense. I don't think he's gonna improve that fast. Maybe next year, yeah. And he grow a little bit and mature and learn the offense, possibly, but I don't see that happening this year. They're gonna have to and I don't think Trash can either. Not playing five hundred in the front yard after Thanksgiving dinner. The deep ball is not everything. And he just hasn't shown me anything else other than that. I, I what, think what, what has thing. trash shown you? So, but here, here, here's the thing. I mean, <laughs> to, me, <laughs> to me, Mullen is all. I mean, this guy is a. He's smart, man. He's he is analyzing how are these guys going to handle the decision that I make. Um, and I think part of the reason why you go with Franks is because Trask has shown, and you know that he's going to handle not winning the job well, and he's going to come to work every day. He's going to have the right attitude, and when he gets his opportunity, he's going to be prepared for it because of how he approaches it. Felipe, we know how he took it last year when he when he lost the job. I mean, he everyone knows. I mean, he went and marched in McElwain's office, and I think he's different and more mature now. But if he, you know, doesn't win the job and they go with Trask and he keeps it, obviously you're going to have that going on in your locker room all year. I don't think Mullen wants that. If Tra if if Frank starts, and then he just loses it again. There's nothing that he can complain or be upset about. He he got another opportunity and he didn't he didn't take advantage of it. And I, I think that's all stuff that Mullen is considering. He's thinking down the road like that um, because all that goes into this decision. I, and I think he's playing mind games with both of them with the with the comments that he says in the media and stuff like that. He mm -hmm. does these little secret tactics that he uses to motivate them. And I think it's all part of his game. Hey Dan and Bill, I'll get your thoughts on this, but it'll it still be quarterback talk. But do we think the how much Florida runs the ball with these running backs? Does that help one of the other? Does that help Franks or Trask? I, I think for for me the biggest thing that you have to see out of Franks is his decision making. It's not just with the ball; it's what happens when he's under pressure. Does he take the sack? Does he throw the ball out of bounds? Does he throw it in the coverage? What is he doing? I mean, last year I think that that was his biggest frustration that everybody had was. His decision making was so poor that not only was he not hitting his routes and you know making the right read, he was making really dumb decisions by keeping the football or you know not throwing the ball you know far enough to get a um, you know intentional or to, he wasn't throwing the ball so he was getting intentional grounding. So there's all of these different things that I think Franks is going to start uh, and I think he's going to get a majority of the plays this season. But I think the biggest thing that's going to cause him to lose his job is if he doesn't improve that way. Because Dan Mullen is a quarterback guy. He's, you know, a guy that is going to look, you know, at that position more than just about anything. Um, he probably is around that position the most during practice. And, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, totally true, Nick or Zach, you can correct me or Graham, but 
Uh, I'm sure that that's a position he, that he's he always take most, stands behind the quarterbacks. Yeah, exactly. So that's the one that he's going to take the most pride in. And the one thing that he's not going to stand for is a quarterback that's making piss poor decisions out there. So we don't know what Kyle Trask can do on the field. So I'm not necessarily saying start him, but I'm saying that that, that rope is going to be real thin uh, with Felipe Franks to either, you know, go and ball out or, you know, is it? I, I think so. Maybe with the fans and media, I don't know. It's going to be thin. It's going to be a short road with Dan Mullen, bro. I, I think if you see a guy that's constantly taking sacks, um, a guy that's constantly listen, listen, you know, Silk, penalties. So he's he's like Steve Spurrier, man. He's going to yank a guy. He will not. He will not sit there and watch bad football like that and be stubborn about. Well, this is this decision I made. This is the playbook and the game plan that I created, and we're rolling with this, and we're not adjusting. And if this guy can't execute it. Well then, we just had a bad week. Mullen's That's not going to think like that. Mullen is I mean, not. He's going to pull him out. He's going to put another guy in. He's going to draw up some plays in the dirt and say, "Let's go figure something else out." That's his attitude as a coach, and that's what good coaches do. Which, and, which I'm, I'm fine with that. But my thing is, with Spurrier, the guys Spurrier replacing with was his guys that 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 kind of knew his scheme. I mean, you putting Trask in, if he mess up, then what? You throw Emory in if he looks like. I mean, He's I think it depends on what that offense looks like, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. If Trash looked, if you, if you take Franks out, throw Trash in, Trash looked bad. Now what? You throw Franks back in, his, his confidence shot. I, I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, even using your words from earlier in the, the discussion, you said it's going to be a very predominantly run-heavy offense. So, how important yeah. is that quarterback position going to be if they're just going to run and pound the ball down everybody's throat? Um, you know, how does thing. that I, I, throw in an unproven quarterback if you're still going to run the ball? 65 70 percent of the game that's a great point dan because i don't think they're going to ever put the responsibility on the quarterbacks enough to where they can go out and lose the game so felipe or kyle whoever wins the job if they lose it it's probably going to be because they had a ton of turnovers and the limited opportunities that they got to make plays and they missed a lot of easy stuff that just drives the coaches crazy but i you know we know that they're going to lean on that ground game and so if a guy can't execute that game plan it's really because he's having some inefficiency. Do we do we face a team that could probably get away from us uh, out out early, like offensively? I don't. No, besides yeah. Missouri, Missouri. Yeah. Missouri? Missouri? yeah. I, I still say Georgia too. Your Georgia, absolutely. Uh, I'm interested to see South Carolina. I think they they were really Mississippi State. <laughs> South Carolina was really hurt by big drop, bro. It's a sober show. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Mullen's offense is not getting out on nobody, bro. No, Dan Mullen's offense. No, I'm talking about I mean, not Dan Mullen. I mean, uh, Muschamp. I think Muschamp's offense is not getting out on nobody. That's a different team than D- with Debo, with Debo on the team. So I, I'm interested to see what they look like. Like a Will Muschamp team. What you, what you got on the quarterbacks, Bill? <laughs> well, I think the thing to consider here is, you know, when Mullen took over Mississippi State in 2008, they were 105th in rushing. The very first year under Mullen, he takes Mississippi State, makes them a top 11 rushing team. They were 11th nationally in rushing yards per game. That's huge. We got numbers, baby. But here's here's the public service announcement, okay? And fans are all expecting this quarterback turnaround. But Mullen didn't have a passing yards per game offense better than 86 until his fourth year. Okay? So could it happen? Could could Trask come out of nowhere and just start lighting it up and being the national story? Sure. It could. But like we've said, this is going to be a running football team. And so one of the things I think we really need to consider and that I can't answer is how are these guys handling 
the reads in the running game and distributing the ball properly because it's going to be critical that Florida runs into good numbers situations. They can't run into piles. And so if he's running zone read and keeps when he should hand off or hand off when he should keep, or if he's not getting everybody where they need to go, that's a problem. And I don't know how these guys are handling that, but I want best guy, like Dan said, I think it was Dan, decision maker, don't throw interceptions, don't take sacks, but also in the running game, distribute the ball properly so you can succeed where you're best. Because I think that's where, I mean, we all think that. They're all going to, we all think they're going to be best in the running game. So the guy that can make that happen is the guy I want. Yeah, back, back to your, hold on one second. Back to your numbers thing with the uh, rushing. I mean, the rushing offense, uh, you say he got to 11. I'll take the production he had with like a Tyler Russell, man. Like, I don't know what they were ranked when they had him, but he passed for like 2,900 yards, bro. So if that's what we're going to get and be ranked 86, I definitely would take an 86 ranked passing offense if he's going to give me 2,900 yards. I'll take that every year. I don't yeah. think that was Russell that year. Uh, Russell was – actually, he was that fourth year. Uh, they I were 54th they, they in passing Lee. efficiency. I think they had Lee the first year. It was Lee and Chris Ralph was the rusher. You were talking – you guys yeah. were talking earlier about having that complimentary guy. Um, but Tyler he's Russell always, was 2012. Yeah. Um, so, you guys who have been scrimmaging and, and the practice and stuff, one thing we haven't heard a lot about is Franks and Trash running in – you know, whether in the 11-on-11 11 11 situations, we've seen the when they line up three-on-three three and then the quarterback can, you know, make his way through that. But when it's 11-on-11 11 11 in these scrimmages and, and, and ending practice, have we heard a lot of, of how Felipe Franks or, or Kyle Chaz handled the running part of Dan Mullen's offense? We haven't, we haven't heard too much about it, but from what we've seen, um, they haven't really designed too many run plays around for both of them. It's more of a – uh, we may need you to escape the pocket and take off um, if we need you. Um, but maybe maybe Nick has seen some things I haven't seen. But I, I haven't seen any any design run plays for either quarterback. Yeah, these aren't guys that you're going to be designing to run the ball 10, 15 times a game mm-hmm. on their own. I think what Dan was asking from and what he's seeing is that they're willing to do it, though. And it just becomes you have to make that a habit of, it broke plays breaking down or my, my one, my one reads not there. My two reads not there. Just go. Don't sit here and take a sack. Just go. And I think they're getting that willingness to run. And they both are big now. Uh, I mean, Trask is six, five, two forty. Franks is six, six, two forty. These are big guys and they'll hold up to that. Um, it's tough to see in, in practice. I know I had a, a video of, you know, Trask running over Jeremiah moon, but nobody wants to be the guy that hurts the quarterback in practice. So he's probably not going full speed, but that, that, just that little clip shows you the willingness to lower their shoulder and try to get some extra yards. But you, Zach, you've been around it a little bit too. So, I mean, I mean, is, are we, are we looking at what five, five design runs maybe just to keep the defense honest? I mean, look, he Mullen even got um, rushing production out of Chris leak. So he's going to ask his quarterback to run the ball. I think that those guys are, are both more athletic and capable than Chris leak was. So if they can, if one of those guys can give like an Alabama 06 performance every week, give them like a big run here or there for a first down, um, keep the defense honest when they're doing the option and they're doing the run POs, because, you know, that's where Trask and Franks are at in terms of their ability. Jones, on the other hand, he is the real deal, man. Like, I mean, I, I was told by that by people that, that he's going to get on the field just because of that, because he's a weapon with the ball in his hands. 
he can't make any of the throw or all the throws at all yet. Like he's still got a ways to go with that. And I think people knew that and realized that when they saw his performance at the Under Armour All America Week, uh, which which is fine. I mean, Mo will continue to work with him there. But if you can have a guy come in, get the experience, you're getting his feet wet, you're preparing him for the future, and you're taking some of all of that running responsibility off of Franks and or Trask. I think it's a win-win situation for Florida, and I think that that's what he's going to do. I mean, he did it in his first year at, at Mississippi State. He did it here at Florida, and I think he's going to do it with Jones and and uh, and, and um, Franks. Uh, one more thing that was brought up, tight ends, how that gets figured out. Is it, you know, Seattle Lewis, the guy coming in, the, the, the senior who can who can lead this group, uh, or – Lucas Kroll comes in uh, and, and is the new – who's the hot shot, you know, Juco transfer. Uh, had been a while since he's played football. Can he be a guy that can be uh, at least maybe the red zone threat when Florida gets down there? He's looked like a pitcher trying to catch footballs. Okay. That ain't good – I don't think that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I heard he's a guy. I heard he's athletic. He's just adjusting back to the game of football. But I'm just going to go with – I'm not a believer in Siante. Um, Won't be long. I don't know problems. I don't know problems. But I'm not. I'm not a believer <laughs> no. in him. I don't know if he's um, frying pan. Frying pan. He's slender, but he's not fast for being slender. Like most smaller tight ends, like skinnier tight ends, are, are they look faster. I don't think he's a very fast guy. He has suspect suspect hands. Uh, I'm just gonna go with Kyle Pitts. I just think he's just gonna be able to stretch the field better and make plays, man. Anybody can can anybody in that position catch the shovel pass and make something happen? Because that was that, that was that was, that was yeah that was a staple. That's Kyle Pitts all day. Yeah, yeah going to tell you, man. That, that staple. We yeah. we all remember it going that 08, 09 season. Is there anybody besides Kyle? I think Crew could do it because he's just he's a big fast dude, but he hasn't played football in a while, so yeah, I, I wouldn't put that on. He he can't move like Kyle Pitts. Though. I mean, they're uh, nah, totally man. different players. Yeah. Um, because of his Listen, size, I, though, do they, do they try it? I, they might, but I, I like Siante. Look, anybody that grabs a frying pan during a fight, <laughs> that's who I want blocking in the trenches and playing tight end. And, look, I, I think he's got a point to prove. I didn't realize this until I was kind of doing a, a story this week for the magazine that he was their starter. Like, he started Same every game last year at tight end. It wasn't Goolsby, even though he ended up with more catches. He's been in the moments – I just think he's been waiting for an opportunity to, number one, get coached up. I mean, everyone can dog Siante and even Goolsby all they want. They didn't get coached. Had Nord, so, baby. You know, I mean, so now you got not only a, a, an upgrade with Larry Scott, but you got a staff that wanted Siante Lewis in, in high school. They offered him and really wanted him bad. So I think that he'll – I mean, I don't expect a breakout year from him, but he'll be – the leader of that group, he'll set the tone for them, and they'll have Pitts contribute, Coral contribute, um, and, and they got a lot of depth there. They're, they're in a really good spot after tight end was kind of looking scary uh, a couple seasons ago. Wow, look, it's kind of funny how stepped on and ignored Kamara Gamble really is. Slept on. Yeah, I mean, he's a non-factor. Former four-star tight end. Yeah. Yeah, put it on the field, man. There's stars when you're on yeah. campus. You got, yeah, let's, nah, man, that's yeah, just out the window. Sure. Waste yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I, I think just by default, they have to be drastically approved just because Greg Nord's not coaching him anymore. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I, think, I mean, Larry Scott's a great coach, don't get me wrong, 
but Greg Nord was so bad that literally anybody else could have coached tight ends and done a better job this season. Um, you know, I'm, I like, I like Siante. I think that he's been somewhat reliable. I, I think he's a great blocker, which is kind of surprising. Unreliable, um, bro. He can't catch. Yeah, uh, but that's the thing. I mean, outside of Pitts, who hasn't played a a, a snap yet, um, you know, Gamble. We don't know. We thought we heard great things about him last offseason. We don't know. Moral Stevens. You know, this is his redshirt senior year. He's done very little. Dante Lang. You know, he's probably going to be kind of your your blocker, your sixth offensive line guy if he makes the field. Siante Lewis and then Lucas Kroll. So I don't know. At, at some point, somebody's got to play, and I don't know. You know, if it's Pitts, awesome, but there's got to be somebody else too. And Siante Lewis is obviously going to play. So then, who is it after that? If there is another person, because tight end is a big role in, in Mullen's offense. Now, now listen, this is school night, and it's nine thirty. So I don't think we got any kids watching this. But I got to tell, uh, I got to tell the Nord story. Nick might have been at practice. <laughs> I'm here for Nord stories, baby. This is like the first like spring or whenever it was that he was in camp and we got to be around him and he was out. There. I don't even know who he was. Oh yeah. Up. I know. I know. This. He was coaching up somebody and he just like, you know, they were doing some drill and he was trying to teach him a certain technique and the kid just couldn't do it. And he just unloaded on the guy, just like, <laughs> like singling him out, cussed all, you know, cussed all over him and just gave him the most specific instructions that he could. So the kid could get it right in the drill. He lines up in the drill again, goes to do it, screws up again, and Nora goes, Well, dip me in shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Oh, man, man, if that's not I'm a phrase a 90-year-old would say, I don't know what yeah. I'll I'll never forget that. But look, I mean, <laughs> Dan talked about the upgrade. Think about how many positions they have seriously no no jokes aside how much they've upgraded at pretty much the majority of their position coaches um that's going to make a huge difference for this group especially at the spots where they were really lacking good coaching i mean you go from carrie dixon no disrespect to billy gonzalez i mean there's no Let's comparison go. you know what i mean so and we could point out a lot of positions where that, that's really going to show up, I think, and help them improve that we don't know how much of an impact that could really make until they get out there on the field. Yeah, and you guys, we'll bring that up tomorrow night, of course, with the coaching staff and and, and, and coaching and recruiting and maybe some differences there. But I'm, when, when these guys were hired and we were here in Gonzalez and Hevesy and you know, all these Mississippi State guys, you know, I, I think it was for – so in year one, these, this coaching staff can hit the ground running with expectations, Dan Mullen knows what the running backs coach is going to do. He knows what the wide receivers coach is going to do. He knows what the offensive line coach is going to do. The, the, there's there's not going to be much learning of what each other can do. It's hit the ground running. So that, I think you know Mullen has mentioned many times in these pressers where you know with the new NCAA rules, there's not as many practices as he had. You know, going back to Mississippi State and installing everything in year one, he's had less time in year one this time. But there is a little bit of advantage now. We're bringing that coaching staff that he knows so well. They can really hit the ground running. And, and you know, recruiting is a different story, maybe. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But at least for how we see it and how they're going to get coached up, that's another aspect of it's. It, there's, not, there's a lot less figuring out to do. Hey, I'd like to hit on the wide receiver position a little bit. We talked about this coaching difference with Billy Gonzalez. And I think you're going to see that in both the passing game and the running game. You've got – Six foot five uh, Grimes out there, six foot two Jefferson, six foot two Cleveland. You've got some some size out there to bully 
these guys out on the perimeter. And we've got a coach that that understands the importance of blocking to spring an eight-yard run into an 80-yard run. You've got a head coach that wants to put a perimeter screen game in play. Those are things that lend to the physical attributes you've got at your wide receiver core. And I think that even if we don't get to see their full potential in the passing game because of the quarterback position, you're going to see that uh, pay dividends immediately because of Gonzalez's presence. Boom. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you go to the defensive side of the ball, you think about that with, um, you know, South Sincere coming in with all the experience, clearly that he has. Grantham, I think it's is this clearly a step up from Shannon. Um, and, he, and even in the secondary, I, you know, I, I know there's some questions about the recruiting, but I think that those are good, solid coaches that have been coordinators before. That that holds weight to me. So, uh, and look, I mean, that, that secondary doesn't need a lot of coaching up anyway. Um, but just the, the whole staff in general to me is, is an upgrade and that's going to really help them from a team aspect. And like I said, we won't know it until they get out there and start showing it. Yeah. I didn't really plan on, I don't know. I should, should have put some coaching staff talking here. So, you know, before we wrap up for the predictions and all that, anything else about the staff that you guys like? No, before the staff, um, I want to, I want to ask the guys that have been on campus and at the practice, what, who do you think win the center position? I think that's the, one of the battles that we're all waiting to um, see get figured out. Who do you guys think win the center position? Well, I think it's going to be Brett Heggie's job um, to lock down, but the only problem is that he's been out for most of fall camp with that foot injury, um, ankle injury. Is it his hamstring? That's the thing, though. No, no, I said and spring. I was about to say. Oh, and spring, yeah. It's his foot injury, yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that's an ideal center position. You look at TJ McCoy, most experienced at center, and then Nick Buchanan working um, with the twos and Volano there as well. But, you know, TJ McCoy, I, you know, no disrespect to his game, isn't the ideal size that you want in the position. Brett Heggie is probably the center of the future. Just whether that's, you know, week four or, or week two when he's back in there, I don't know. What I mean, about my man Buchanan? Yeah, Buchanan's really been working mainly yeah. first team. There's just been – it's not often, and we're not out there for, for you know, all of practice all the time, but from the little parts that we are, I've seen some snapping issues with him and um, either getting the ball back slowly, um, some low, some off to the left, to the right. And, and when you're working with timing plays and, and, and stuff that they're doing, that, that, that affects everything. What happened to TJ McCoy? Yeah, he was he, not good. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Last season he was um, at the end of the season, um, but he's only six feet tall, so he's not an yeah. ideal center. He just has physical limitations. And yeah, he, yeah. And he struggles against better defenders. He has a hard time getting in place. He's good at walling yeah, he, people off, and that's about it. Bill, you're want, you're, you're a big fan Lane. of Heggie, right? I'm a huge fan of Heggie. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think the offense hinges on his return. I told y'all a long time ago bo uh, that boy Heggy uh, hunt boards and shit. I knew, I'm, I'm sorry. The only concern I have with Heggy is that he's been gone for yeah. spring Hegis. and all fall camp. So, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not just easy to come step in and play center when you haven't – I mean, I know he's probably studying the playbook and watching every single snap in the practice, but there's nothing like going out there and doing I think he's smart enough and good enough to probably figure it out fast. But, you know, I would be surprised if he can just step in. That would definitely be an indictment against the other guys there if they're not able to solidify it. I don't know how much longer he's going to be out. I thought that they might experiment with moving Tyler Jordan there. Mm -hmm. I just think that he could probably handle it. And then if you bring in Heggie back, 
I think he could take on to guard much more easier than center, but they'll figure it out. I mean, they know those guys and what they're capable of and what they're not capable of. Uh, I trust Hevesy as a coach that he's going to get that group uh, to where they have, you know, six to seven guys that they can really trust. Heggy's uh, just like, like, like Silk said, he's just a dog. That's, that's just someone, if he's healthy, I want him on the football field. He's like a, a Channing Crowder. If you're going to run after a boar with a knife, you know, yeah, you can play on my football team. All yeah. good. The 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 main prediction I want to know how many how many third and fifteen play action passes are we getting this year? All of them. I mean, that's what I was about to say. I mean, we may get some by default, man, because you may want to try to trick any defender you can with Frank's back then, baby. <laughs> so we might just have to do like a wait. Come on, that's random. So, so, so they knew what so they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing on that part. No, they didn't know what they were doing, bro. <laughs> But the, but the hell Frank's out, we may just need to, like, fake something, though, like a jet sweep or something. <laughs> I'm here for it. All right, guys. You ready uh, for some record predictions? I mean, how many record predictions have y'all done so far in, like, the last <laughs> couple, couple weeks uh, or so? I haven't done any yet. Lance calls my radio show every day and tells me Florida <laughs> goes 12-0. So I have record predictions talks every every day. The, don't shake my tree. Man, we made it, we made it so long. Don't shake my mango <laughs> tree, baby. Peaches, 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 peaches. Tree. There it is. That's I'm like it. I live in Florida, bro. Peach trees right here. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I think that Florida um, does go uh, nine and three. Although I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went eight and four. Um, I think they lose to uh, Mississippi State, uh, Georgia, and South Carolina. I think they beat FSU, and I think they beat LSU. Um, I think Felipe Franks is a starting quarterback for at least eight games this season. Um, and then I think that Emory Jones plays four games, um, in, in, in at least some capacity and that they use him in that redshirt role. Who next? So you think, you think he redshirts? That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think mean, there's, there's, I think there's other, no way he, I think there's no way he redshirts. There's no better chance that Graham plays than Emory redshirts. <laughs> yeah. Especially with Jalen Jones and the, the 2020 he, kid coming yeah, in. That's your future. Where yeah. Why 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 keep start. why keep Emory Jones around? You gotta get him right. out there on the field. See what right. you're already you're yeah, already not see him playing in more than several packages and, and I can't see that's him playing fine. really in more than, than give him six a Tim Tebow. Give, give him the Tim Tebow role. That's all he's gotta do. We'll have to see. We'll have to see how good their offense is. I got him at nine and three, man. Um I don't want to point out the exact L's, I haven't done my research like that, but I, I think we uh, we beat Florida State out of, in those nine wins, man. I think that's the key to the season right there. Like Bill said earlier, winning that game usually finish higher ranked than recruiting. I think I think we uh, give them some problems. Nine and three. So that's what. I'm going to tr- trump Lance instead of saying twelve and zero. I'm going to bump it up to 15, right? Let's go. <laughs> that's, 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 you know, they, they get 15 opportunities, Zach. Hey. That's, that's, no, look, man. I made my, my man OB out there. Listen, to be fair, though, I mean, he's he, he, he been claiming it. And there's been some people that have come out and said they see them as a sleeper. I think if they go 9-3, and three, I'm with everyone. That's my pick. It's been my pick since, since everyone started talking about it. I think if they can get to that win total, even if they can get to 8, you're doubling from last year. Um, I think, like Bill said, it's all about the games that you win. Um, win, you know, win the games that matter. That Florida State one is going to be key. If they can find a way to get that W and find a way to get to nine 
or even eight. I got to think, I think that they could win eight games, but if they beat FSU, that's fine. I think the fan base and would, recruits would rather see them do that and go nine and three and lose to FSU again. Yeah, I'll piggyback off that. I think they win eight. Uh, I'm so torn about this, though. The thing that I do like, I like that they catch so many other programs with first-year coaches, and that's one of the reasons I think they have a good chance against FSU. Of course, you've got Tennessee, um, Mississippi State, and then, of course, LSU seems to be having some fucky stuff going on out there, and I think they're vulnerable. (laughs) I don't like Georgia. Uh, I don't like uh, Missouri for matchups this year. Um, South Carolina worries me a little bit. That is a really tough three-game stretch. Um, and this team has a lot to sort out. I just think other teams do too, so I think they can have a decent season. But as somebody said earlier, if they get the wrong injuries in the wrong places, this thing could go south fast. Mm-hmm. You got it, Dan? I don't know how south it could go depending on what those injuries are. Obviously, you're talking about losing a lot of players uh, for Florida. I mean, I think the absolute lowest – win total this team could get this year is six. I don't see really any other way that they get below six. That's uh, what I meant. I don't think they're yeah. going to have a four-win season or anything like that. Um, but I'm going to I'm gonna go out on a limb here, um, and I'm going to say that Florida's going to go 10-2. and two. I think that they beat Charleston Southern. I think they beat – Let's go, D. I think that they beat Colorado State. I think they beat Tennessee. I think that all four of those are pretty obvious – uh, right now, I don't think that Tennessee's good enough uh, yet. I think that Jeremy Pruitt could be a good coach. And man, Tennessee got really lucky. They're landing on their like 918th pick for head coach. Jeremy Pruitt seems to be doing good. Um, Mississippi State, I, I think that they've got a talented team. I'm not sure that uh, Moorhead, you know, it's going to be probably one of his first, you know, big games. And, you know, I think that Dan Mullen really wants to win that game. I don't think LSU's that good. I think that LSU's going to finish this season. Seven and five, six and six at best. I think the Florida beats Vanderbilt. I think they lose to Georgia, uh, and then I think they lose one either Missouri or South Carolina, and then they think they beat Idaho and Florida State. I truly think that if Florida can put it together and if they can rally, and that running back core is as good as we say it is, and if we say that that wide receiver group is as good as they are on paper, I think that there's still a lot of unproven for how hyped up that wide receiver group is is getting right now. Uh, but I, I think that if they are what they are on paper, uh, that Florida could could very, very realistically go 10-2 this year. Nick? Uh, not not 10. I think I think uh, 8, <laughs> you get to 9 with a bowl game. Um, but I, I see at Mississippi State as a loss. Um, I see Georgia as a loss. Missouri and South Carolina, I, I'm, I think you lose one of those two in back-to-back weeks. And then I'm even, you know, I think Tennessee might even be a coin flip, and and at Florida State might be a coin flip as well. Excuse me, got it. That that eight and four is where I'm at. Tennessee is not a flip, bro. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be your first road game with it with a young team, and uh, and who knows what a quarterback. Who does does Tennessee have? They they have they have their 981st for head coach, like Dan said. I will say, the thing about Tennessee, though, about that, we and we do say who do they have, but look at the last three, four games. I mean, it's all it's, close games. And, and, and oh, they, they, they've had some playmakers, man. And, like, and you, you they, last time. They've had some playmakers at quarterback and like that, here's some guys that can do some of their legs. I just don't know who they have, man. Like that roster is depleted. Listen, we, we should we should beat that team by two scores. They should, they should but if they if 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 for you know, worst case scenario, 
Franks falls flat on his face and they got to go to Trask, or let's say they even start relying on Emory some, and they're having to deal with that around Tennessee week time, it could get ugly. I mean, remember that game with Driscoll and Treon Harris when they ha- he had to come in and they won 10-9. I mean, that, they were lucky to come out of that with a win. Austin Harden. You know, Austin Harden, man. 50-yard goal to win the okay. game. So, uh, it, so, you know, if they get their kind of QB situation figured out by then, I think they'll be fine at Tennessee. But if they're still trying to go through the motions with that, uh, that's not an easy I – mean, I've been there. Knoxville is a hard place to play. I, I, said, I said it earlier. I, I said I thought Tennessee's going to be a bad team, but I think that Jeremy Pruitt, is, that's their Super Bowl. He, he's seen what losing to Florida has done to Derek Dooley, to Butch, and he knows that this is my game, and he's going to do everything he can to win that. If they win one game this year, they want it to be that Florida game, and that's why I say it's a, it's a road game, and that's something that Tennessee's putting all their eggs in that in beating Florida. I, I just I don't I don't see it I, I don't see the quarterback I don't see the quarterback play is a better team no well I mean I but I don't see it even close and, and I know that you guys have mentioned that Florida is a young team going into their first road game I don't know where they're young I mean they have a stacked you know upper class and running back room they've got a stacked or you know not stacked they're young but, you know, they're young, got, young at quarterback well I mean That's yeah it. okay. We don't think that that quarterback is going to have that big of a role on this offense. So I'm just not sure. And we have a quarterback that beat Tennessee last year. He didn't have, you know, a lot of plays last year or, you know, a lot of great moments, but he did have that one win over Tennessee. So I don't see Tennessee doing it. I see maybe Tennessee in maybe two, three years having a much better roster than they have now. They've got a good coaching staff. I just don't think that there's enough talent on that team uh, for Tennessee to even Come well, within, you know, ten points of Florida. Well, you know, I haven't, I haven't looked to see who's still there, but they signed the number four recruiting class in 2015. So you're talking about some kids that are maturing into upperclassmen now. Uh, this isn't a team that's, uh, from a recruiting standpoint, I, I understand that there's, you got to have that translate to the field, but the, on paper, there is well, some This isn't Kentucky. On paper, even though Bill, if you look at the class, it was, it was number four by numbers. Like they, they signed like thirty some kids, so. It wasn't no a whole lot of elite talent that they, they bagged that year, and a lot of those kids are transfer. They, they signed a five star and fifteen four stars. Recruiting, that's tomorrow. Yeah, we're, we're going to <laughs> that's, they signed two five stars: Khalil McKenzie and Kyle Phillips. I don't know if those guys are still there. That's what I'm saying. Like those, I don't even know those guys on the roster. Yeah. Is there is there any guaranteed losses on this schedule next year? Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. Georgia. And I, 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 I'm not laying down any guaranteed losses, baby. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you that now. I'm too much of a homer for that, baby. Where's your, where's your guarantee? Nah, baby, I can't give you a guarantee. We're gonna lose some games, but I ain't guaranteeing a loss to nobody. See, I, I've always been eight and four. Before camp started, I was leaning nine nine and three with 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 the eight and four. But with this quarterback situation still where it's at, I, I'm I'm still you know firmly on eight and four right now and i can't even i can't even go nine and three right now uh, until i see this quarterback situation figure itself out so uh, mississippi state is a loss to get georgia is the loss one of missouri or south carolina and i gotta see it uh, i i can't i can't pick them to beat fsu just yet uh even uh, i want to i really want to but uh first year head coaches this this is a year to get them as well i still think their top end talent's a little more top end than talent uh than florida's talent right now and that that, that may make the difference uh, for a game in Doak campbell are you guys of the opinion that dan mullen is a smarter and better coach than taggart <laughs> he's proven more yes yeah. i don't think it stays that way for long I do. Yeah. No, I mean, not. I mean, 
Florida losing to FSU just and 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 picking talent for I, it. I think eventually. I, I just feel like Mullen um, can build something and get something going at Florida where he's going to have the edge and own FSU. Um, I just I'm not a fan of Willie Taggart. I know he can recruit and he's got a fun program, but I don't think that he can hang with Dan Mullen and some other coaches that he'll go against. I just don't. I mean, I, I'm not impressed with him. At all. I don't think people realize how bad Mississippi State was before Dan Mullen took over because they yeah, look no. at them now and they're a ranked program. We're going to play them at home and people are like, wow, you know, Mississippi State's going to be at home. That's a loss and everything else. I mean, if you would have said that 15 years ago, people would have laughed at you. Uh, I mean, Dan Mullen yeah. truly turned around that program. They just got the offensive coordinator from, you know, one of the best offensive programs last year to be their head coach. I mean, they are now on the map because of Dan Mullen. There is nothing that Willie Taggart has done to put a school on a map the way that FSU fans think he has. Yeah, I think pretty much everybody agrees the floor with Dan Mullen is a good coach at U.S. We're not going to have any more McElwain nonsense. I mean, I don't think, you know, but with Taggart, the floor is pretty low there. Uh, We really don't know what that guy is. I'm here for you, man. There's a lot of gimmicks (laughs) going on out West, man. A lot of gimmicks, a lot of games. But, hey, at the end of the day, you got to get down. You got to call plays. You got to win football games, man. The music in the stadium. I don't, I don't got. I don't care for none of the goofiness, man. I want a legit program. You know can, what I'm saying? Can, I want to build can, something. Can, can you match up X and X's and O's? X's and O's, baby. With, with Mullen and staff, I don't think Absolutely. not just not just the FSU staff. I think that Mullen can, you know, bust his chops with the best of them. Man, so, y'all about to y'all about to talk me into nine and three again. Well, hey, I watched, one second, one second. I watched I watched Mullen be a more talented Urban Meyer Gator team, and that almost broke my heart watching it, man. So I that know what he can do with Mr. It was ugly. He oh. made it ugly. He made it. Ugly. I still remember that game. If they would have ran a Marius at halfback, he was like the only. That's like his only game. That was their yeah. only offense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Marius Hines was the only thing guy that could do anything in that game, and Meyer just didn't give it to him anymore. Yeah, they uh, Mullen made it an ugly game, and he beat a more talented team, a way yeah. more talented team. So I'm not gonna give us no guarantee, L's man. Mullen just know how to call plays and keep you in the game, run the ball, drain the clock. He know what he's doing, man. So we'll see what we do, man. I got nine and three, man. All right, guys. Any uh, any uh, this season outlook? Any final thoughts? Good stuff, guys. Yeah, it was fun. Good stuff, guys. We'll be back tomorrow to talk recruiting for sure. Yeah, recruiting tomorrow. Hey, change that background tomorrow, Grant. That looks- <laughs> hey, man. I got the coolest background here. I'm going to work on my lighting, but you got to change that. Bro. <laughs> All right, I'll work on it, but no promises. Hey, just because, just so I, I'm on the right page, is it Diabate? Is that how you say it? He says it in this video. Just say okay. diabetes, when bro. You, when you watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Say top babies. That's terrible. Oh man. This is fun. This is fun. And, and with, and with that, we end it. That's right. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so for Graham Hall, Dan Thompson, Nick Delatore, Bill Sykes, Zach Albaverde, Uncle Silk, Corey Knowles, I'm David Waters. Thanks for taking part in our Gator Panel 2018 season outlook. We'll be back again tomorrow talking recruiting instead of the program. Let's go.